Transfiguration Sunday, and this is the Sunday where we consider the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about exactly what that story is. If you've been in church for a good bit of time, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, as Anglicans, we actually have a Sunday in the church calendar that we actually recognize it, and, and we talk about it, and this is that Sunday. And we'll be coming from Luke chapter 28, verse, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36. And um, preparing for this sermon, uh, I struggled really hard to come up with a very, a very single, very small and pithy main idea. I work really hard to do that because I want us to have something very short and easy to walk away with that we can always recall um, that's not difficult. Today, this Sunday is not one of them. Uh, this this uh, main idea is not necessarily short, um, but I hope it still sticks. I hope the Lord uses it to call to memory what we talked about today. And so the main idea essentially is uh, special encounters or experiences with God's presence are one, born of prayer, two, they reveal the glory of Christ, and three, they are not permanent, meaning they are not meant to last forever. And that's going to make sense when we talk about the text this morning with, um, from Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36. So special encounters or experiences with God's presence are born of prayer, they reveal the glory of Christ, and they are not permanent or are not meant to last forever. And so I'm going to read Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. We'll pray together, and then we will jump in. So beginning in verse 28, it says, About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. As they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, brothers and sisters. Father, I do thank you for the privilege that it is to be with my brothers and sisters again, to worship through song together, to hear your preached word together, to take of this table together. In your mercy, Father, I pray that you would grant us soft hearts, open minds. Uh, you would grant us perception to be able to perceive and receive with humility and faithfulness what it is you share with us through your word. I pray, Father, that you would grant me clarity of speech and communication. You would grant me conviction. You would grant, I pray, Father, the effective and effectual power of the Holy Spirit that your word as it go, goes forth would accomplish in every heart and every mind of every person here exactly what you send it forth to accomplish. Father, in your mercy, would you grant us encouragement Grant us healing, challenge us, change us, inspire us, do all that we need in our hearts and in our lives today. 
And above all, Lord, I pray that you would continue to save us. Save us. Through the love and the blood and the resurrection of your son. I thank you. Make your word real to us. I want to lift up our sister, Danielle, as she is moving on and pray for your favor to be upon her and her travels. Favor on her and her schoolwork. And I pray that you would grant her just a, a clear sense of purpose for how all of her work and toil and faithfulness is going to be useful for your kingdom. Help her to persevere when it gets hard. Help her to trust you when the way is unclear. And Father, I just pray that the entire time, Father, she, know, she just knows that your hand is upon her. Bless her. I continue to be with Pastor Drew and his family. And I just pray that these last three Sundays, these last three weeks, Father, will just be like topping off a gas, a gas tank for them, Father God. Continue to strengthen them, encourage them, and bring them back refreshed, ready to serve as you call them. We give you the honor, the glory, and the praise, because indeed you are worthy, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Luke begins this story of the transfiguration in chapter 9. He begins by telling us, he says that after Jesus said this, after Jesus said something, and this something that Jesus says is his famous and, and pretty, pretty difficult to understand and difficult to receive words from Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. And this is where Jesus tells his disciples famously to take up their crosses and follow him. It's where he talks about dying to self, where he talks about that if you, if you try to hold on to your own life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you will find it. And essentially, Jesus tells them that a call to follow him is a call to die. In no uncertain terms, that a call to follow him is a call to die. And this is no small Call because, friends, in 2023, as Christians, as I believe many of us are, when we hear of carrying crosses or we see crosses like this beautiful cross before us, we have this idea of following Jesus faithfully, right? Um, not living into the evil that, that continues to plague this world and living into goodness, bringing the kingdom down, all these beautiful things, right? But when these men heard Jesus say, take up your cross, they had no such reference for the cross. Because for them, the only reason you would take up your cross and carry it is so that you could be hung on it and killed. For them, the only reason a person would carry their cross is so that they could experience the gruesome, the gruesome, um, the gruesome experience of being executed by the state. Now... It might be tempting to pacify what Jesus is saying here, to make it sound a little less harsh. But the reality is, once you understand the utility, the use of the cross in this day, it's quite impossible to do it. And the older I get, the more I realize, brothers and sisters, that living the Christian life, truly leaning in and living how Jesus calls us to live, will feel a lot like death. The more you live for Jesus, brothers and sisters, the more, you, the more you will realize that this life is not about you. 
The more you live for Jesus, the more you will realize that this life is not about pursuing what feels good to you. Following Jesus means that we say to Jesus, I will do and I will be whatever it is you say, Jesus. And that is hard. That feels like dying. And this is an extremely difficult pill to swallow, except for when we swallow it with a good dose of Jesus. Except for when we swallow it with the identity of who our Lord truly is. And for this reason and toward this end, I believe that the next story Luke tells us about Jesus after these hard sayings is the story of the transfiguration. Because the transfiguration happens to let the disciples and to let us know who this Jesus is and why he's so worth following, even unto death. And so Luke tells us that eight days later, uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. These are the three closest of his closest disciples. And they go up on a mountain to pray. And just for context, it's hard to know exactly what mountain Um, There's a lot of different theories out there, or if it was just a high hill. The reality is that Jesus takes them up somewhere to pray in solitude, just the three. And on this mountain, we find that he's transfigured, his face changed, his clothes became brilliantly white, and then Moses and Elijah and the Old Testament prophets themselves appeared and were talking to Jesus. Now, There's something about the disciples being sleepy whenever Jesus asks them to pray. You ever notice that in the scripture? Always talks about them being sleepy when Jesus takes them to pray. Because we see the same thing happening in the prayer of Gethsemane. Jesus takes these same three over to pray, and Jesus comes back three times and finds them what? Sleeping. And I wonder if this has something to do with the times that Jesus chose to pray. If you remember Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Mark tells us that it was a custom for Jesus to wake up a great while before the sun arose and to go off to a solitary place to pray. And I wonder if Jesus was inviting the disciples into this kind of custom. If he was inviting them to, to, to develop the muscles to wake up early in the morning before the sun rose and to pray. And what we're experiencing is their inability to do it yet. Right? They're still flexing those muscles of waking up at 4 or 5 in the morning. But as I read this, and this is free, friends, but I really felt like the Lord wanted me to share it with you. Because if we're honest, I think that we will all say at times that sometimes prayer just makes you sleepy. Right? You, 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 you're ready to pray, you, you know, you, you're ready to, to be with God, and, and you, you sit down or you, you kneel beside the, bread and, uh, beside the bed, and all of a sudden, all you can think about is taking a nap or going to bed for the night. Well, as true as this may be, brothers and sisters, I'd advise us to press through sleepiness and pray. Press through sleepiness to pray, because prayer is worth the pressing, and we're going to talk about why prayer is worth pressing through in a second. But pray, pray, especially when you feel sleepy. 
You ever had this thing? I mean, this is a, just another free part. But you felt too sleepy to pray, and so you lay down to go to sleep, and then what happens? What happens? You can't sleep. And so then what you end up doing is tossing and turning for two, three hours, and then you get up and pray anyway, and now you're just sleeping three hours later. You might as well press. You might as well pray. Amen? Amen. That was free. Well, Luke says that they were sleepy, but they woke up. And when they woke up, they saw this scene of Jesus being transfigured. He's talking to these prophets. And as the prophets were leaving, Peter decides, oh, good old Peter, he decides that it would be a good idea to make three tents. Um, Some believe that Peter was thinking about celebrating what they call the Festival of Booths, which was a Jewish custom where they would all dwell for a week. Um, All able-bodied males would dwell for a week in a booth to kind of symbolize how they didn't have homes as they wandered in the desert. Um, All of this scene has a lot of mosaic um, uh, allusion to it. But either way, uh, uh, Peter says, hey, let us make three tents, Jesus, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And essentially what Peter is trying to do is he's trying to freeze this moment in time. Peter doesn't want this moment to end. And I like how Luke tells us that he had no idea what he was talking about. And I think that's because Peter's a lot like you and me. Imagine if you go somewhere with someone and the person you're with just changes all of a sudden. They don't look like what you know. Their clothes are all brilliant and white. And then you see these two strange men appear out of nowhere and stand next to them. Now, the question I have is, how did Peter know that this was Moses and Elijah? They'd been gone for thousands of years. My thought is, as was custom with the disciples, is that when they went back down the mountain, they said, Jesus, who was that? <laughs> and Jesus said, don't worry, I'll tell you later. And at some point, they realized that it was Moses and Elijah. But imagine you in that scene. What would you do? Some of us are more passive than others, so some of us would stay quiet. I think this is probably John. John was probably like, I ain't going to say nothing. James, James was probably kind of laid back. James was like, ah, I don't know, you know. But not Peter. Peter got to say something. Peter has to do something. And so Peter says, can I make tents for all of you to stay? Can I freeze this moment in time? But Peter learned this day what we learn is that mountaintop experiences are not meant to last forever. Mountaintop experiences are not meant to last forever. But even as this happens, there's a cloud that envelops them. And and when that cloud envelops them, they hear God, the voice of God, saying to them, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. But what exactly do you think God meant for these disciples to listen to? Well, of course, they meant, he meant for them to listen to everything that Jesus says, but specifically the hard sayings that they had just heard him say. The taking up your cross sayings, the dying sayings in order to follow him. And it's likely that the disciples were still struggling with this as they saw this scene on the mountain. But friends, as I thought about what they heard and what they were probably still struggling with as it pertains to the hard sayings of Jesus, it made me think about us trying to discern the voice of God. And I think there are a couple things we can learn about this. And the first thing is this. I think that sometimes we can know that God is speaking to us because what he says isn't exactly what we want to hear. 
Now, I'm not sure what's going on. I'm not sure if most of you are still on vacation or you don't have your coffee this morning. But you guys are extremely quiet. And if for no other reason but to help the preacher today, give me an amen or something. Amen, something. I think that sometimes we can know that God is speaking to us because what he says to us is not the thing that we want to hear. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm sure that was the case with the disciples when they heard about taking up crosses and being executed and those kinds of things. And there's two ways that you can know that you're not hearing from God. If you need some help. And we're just going to take a second to talk about discerning God's voice. The first thing is this. If God is saying yes to everything that you want from him, you're not hearing from God. If God is saying yes to everything that you want from him, you are not hearing from him. The second is this. If God is not calling you to any hard things in your life that you'd rather not do, then you're not hearing from God. If he is never calling you to something hard, then you're not hearing from God. And I'm not talking about, brothers and sisters, please hear me. I'm not talking about things like hurting yourself or hurting someone else or neglecting your responsibilities or neglecting your family. That's not what I'm talking about. God does not call us to evil. And he does not call us to foolish things. I'm talking about forgiveness. I'm talking about when you know that somebody is dead wrong and what they deserve from you is your wrath and anger. But God calls you to forgive them. I'm talking about contentment. Right. Being content, being okay where you are when everyone around you seems to be flourishing and you're just spinning your wheels. Or it feels like you are. I'm talking about when God tells you to stay right where you are and persevere, even though there are better options on the table to go and do something else that seems a lot easier and a lot more pleasant. And I'm not saying that God can't call you to that. I'm just saying it's important to discern the voice of God in those moments. Well, with all this said, there are three things about this story that I, that I think carry powerful applications for our walks with God. And the first is this. Powerful experiences with God begin with simple, simple prayer. Powerful experiences with God begin with simple prayer. Uh, Luke tells us that the experience of, the, the, of this transfigured and glorified Jesus with the two prophets, it all came away because they got, it all came about because they went away to pray. Friends, I cannot tell you how many times in my life I've been doing this Christian thing now going on um, going on about 22 years now. I became a Christian at 13 years old, having not been raised in a Christian home. The Lord just gripped me. And um, it has been a roller coaster of life as the Christian life is. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been in this Christian life and feeling like, God, where are you? God, what's going on? Why would you leave me? And then I just start to think, what about my life has changed? And simply I realize that it's been a while since I prayed. It's just been a while since I got away to pray. And friends, listen, I don't care what social media tells you. I don't care what, the, what, the, what the, the influencers tell you. I don't care what all the cool books tell you, what all the newfangled ways to, to get God to move in your life. Can I tell you something? No move of God happens without prayer. No 
move of God happens without prayer. Nothing incites a move of God in your life like prayer. If you need God to do something in your life, if you need to sense God in your life again, can I encourage you to find some time to get away and just pray? Because prayer moves God. Prayer moves God. If you need God to do something in your life, if you need to sense him again, just pray. James chapter 5 verse 16 says it this way. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's in the old King Jimmy. He says it powerfully. And also, if you feel like God is nowhere to be found, prayer is the means to finding him again. Jeremiah says to the exiled Jews in Babylon in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 14, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. In short, brothers and sisters, get somewhere and pray. Pray. Second thing we see in this story is this, that Jesus is the greater Moses who grants us freedom from our slavery to sin. Um, In verse 31, Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus is speaking with Moses and Elijah about his departure, about Jesus' departure. And that word in Greek for departure is simply the word exodus. Exodus, which means departure. And I believe that that word is used in this particular context, in this telling of the story, in order to communicate that as Jesus meets with Moses, Jesus is the greater Moses. That even as Moses led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, Jesus comes to lead us out of the greater slavery to sin and to death. And so Jesus is the facilitator of a greater exodus. And brothers and sisters, this is exactly what happens for us when Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus' death and his resurrection is meant to proclaim in the most emphatic sense that he has conquered sin and death and that he offers us freedom from sin and freedom from death if we would trust in him. And so I ask you this morning, brothers and sisters, if you're here this morning and you feel the tug on your heart to change your life, to no longer be stuck doing the same things that you've been doing and getting the same terrible results that you've been getting, Jesus is here to offer you freedom. Jesus is here to offer you freedom. Friends, wake up. Wake up. Jesus is here to offer you freedom. It's like a, a spirit of stupor upon the people this morning. Come on, guys. We got to wake up. We got to wake up. I didn't say stupid. I said stupor. Jesus is here to offer you freedom. And the freedom that Jesus offers, brothers and sisters, has no strings attached. When Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. Free to live into a newness of life. You are free and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live as God desires for you to experience what Jesus offers in a fullness of life. If you're here this morning, you're tired of a life that leaves you empty. You're tired of a life that leaves you shameful and guilty. Know that Jesus this morning offers you freedom to live into a newness of life, a wholeness of life. 
But you have to acknowledge that you need him and you have to rely on him for the change that you cannot bring about on your own. Jesus offers a better freedom than Moses, a better exodus than even Moses. And the third thing is this, and we've said this already. Mountaintop experiences aren't meant to last forever. They're meant to sustain us when we inevitably find ourselves in the valley again. If you've been living this Christian life or just living this life for any amount of time, you know that bad things happen. You know that as sure as you're going to find yourself on a mountaintop, you're going to find yourself in the valley of darkness. As David puts it in the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. And when, G- when Peter tells Jesus that he should build these tents for, G- for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, like I said earlier, he is hoping to freeze this moment. But what Jesus knows is that as soon as they step off this mountain, they're going to run into trouble again. Soon as they go off to the mountain, what is the first thing they run into? A demon-possessed little boy. They run into this demon-possessed little boy, and the disciples are gathered around. They're wondering, why can't we cast this demon out? Why can't we cast this demon out? And the mountaintop experience is meant to remind them that when they are faced with something that they cannot figure out on their own, they have with them the God who can. The mountaintop experience is there to remind them that when they pray and feel like there is no answer to their prayer, that they are still serving the God who answers prayer. I don't mean to assume that everyone here has a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but if you do, can I ask you, do you remember when you first came to know Jesus? Remember how sweet and special that was? Remember how you would pray and it felt like anytime you prayed you got an answer to it somehow or you would, you would open the Bible and you just eat it up reading it all day, reading it all night and, and you were kind of amazed at how this stuff was true and how it was playing out in your life I never forget I told this story one time but when I was brand new to the faith and I was reading Jesus I think it's specifically he was speaking in Matthew chapter 6 and he talks about when you go to a banquet don't take the seat of honor but take the low place because if you take the seat of honor, they may come and tell you to sit in the lower place and then you thereby be humiliated. And I remember I went to a, 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 a wedding with my family. And I, I was a Christian. My family was not yet believers. And when we got there, they said, oh, let's, let's sit up in the front row. And I said, no. I said, no. I said, I said Jesus said you take the, the lower seat. Because then if you sit in the, in, in the seat in the front row, they're going to make you sit in the back and you're going to be humiliated. They said, ah, whatever. We sat in the front seat and I just sat there like, uh-uh. Sure enough, the wedding planner came and said, hey, would you guys move to the back? These seats are reserved for somebody else. And I was like, oh, the Bible is true. Look, it's real. It's real. But remember when you had those experiences, it seemed like all the time when you first came to Jesus, the peace you experienced, even if Jesus didn't answer your prayer, you were fine. This is not my own. This is not my own. I'm just getting ready for heaven. Right? All you needed was your Bible and your prayer closet and you could take on hell with a water pistol. You remember those days? Well, those days are meant to remind you when it feels like your prayer is getting no higher than the ceiling. That that same God is still listening. 
those days when it feels like nothing makes sense and it's hard to connect your real life with what the Bible says, those mountaintop experiences are meant to remind you that it's the same truth that stays with you in the valley. That those same things are still true. You see, brothers and sisters, the bliss of the wedding and the reception is not meant to last forever. All that dancing and then having fun and electric slides and at your wedding, that's not meant to last forever. Those times are meant to remind you that this is the person you chose to and vowed to spend the rest of your life with and you can't even stand to look at them. You know the bliss of when you held that little baby for the first time and you couldn't imagine loving anything more than that little thing <laughs> that moment is not meant to last forever that moment is meant to remind you that this child is still your gift and responsibility when they act in a straight fool friends would you experience a great move of God in your life then it's simple Pray. Pray. No movement of God begins without prayer. Pray. Would you experience freedom from sin and freedom from judgment, freedom from an eternity apart from God? Then trust Jesus who offers a greater exodus than the exodus out of slavery, out of Egypt. will you endure through the difficulties of this life then remember the goodness of the God that you experienced on the mountaintop remember the truth you were sure of from God's word and be reminded that he is the same God and it is the same truth who walks with you through the valley amen as I prepared this sermon I didn't want to take for granted that there's gonna that there are a lot of us here who are experiencing a certain level of heaviness that makes whatever mountaintop you experience you've had seem almost like it never happened. I don't want to take that for granted. But what I would like to do is implore you to try something. Okay? This is not going to be profound. I pause only for dramatic effect. a Bible? Open it and read. I'm not saying that it's all going to make sense. I'm not saying it's all going to be just a one-time thing, but understand this. Prayer and the Word of God are undefeated. They are the greatest means that God gives us for access to Him and access to the life He calls us and the fullness of life that He grants us. 